Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Aren't you forgetting the ruby slippers? You're guilty of nothing! Yes, I'm looking very. Action! I hereby christen this budget Barbie camper Priscilla. Is butter a curb? I want a little This is going to get me my third Tony Award. You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. Conrad, Gina and Daniel with you today, where we are rolling out the red carpet and donning our best black ties because the Oscars are right around the corner. Indeed, they land on the 28th of March. So for the next two weeks, we are spotlighting Hollywood's Night of Nights and some of the top nominees. Next week, we're going to look at the best actor categories and the best director category. And of course, revisit Conrad, your excellent chat with the director of Flea, which has been nominated for three awards across three separate categories. Help me out here. Best animation, best documentary. Best international feature. There you go, three categories. So fingers crossed it takes out one. We'll revisit your chat with the director of Flea next week. But this week, it's all about best picture. Uh, So we'll be looking at, there are 10 nominees this year for the best picture category, and we'll be unpacking those nominees over the course of today's program. We'll also be casting our predictions for the best picture of the year at this year's Oscars. And we will be revisiting this program after the Oscars to see who got it right and who didn't. So your predictions, Gina and Conrad, they (laughs) matter Today, before we get there, though, before we look at this year's contenders for that top award, let's just have a chat about the Oscars more broadly. Not unusually, the Oscars have found themselves deep in controversy again this year. Gina Conrad, what are your takes on the lay of the land when it comes to the Oscars this year? I think they're setting themselves up for success very quickly by the hosts that they've chosen this year. They've got Regina Hall, Amy Schumer and Wanda Sykes. So these are three powerhouse comedians, all with their own different styles of comedy, but they're just hilarious. So I think by setting the tone with these three women, the Oscars have already kind of said, you know what? We're going to have a little bit of fun this year. We're not going to take ourselves too seriously. And I'm really looking forward to watching it for these three women. I love your take on that, Gina. I'm kind of the same. It feels to me like an old school Oscars in a lot of ways. However, there is always going to be controversy, right? (laughs) And I mean, doing away with eight categories Mm. for the live um, telecasts 
has already caused such a buzz and such a, rightfully so, a, a bit of a stir, mm. um, something I'm not really happy about. You know, I love seeing those people um, acknowledged mm. who do all of the amazing stuff behind the scenes. You know, if it was if it was just about um, giving awards to the people on the screen, sure, whatever. But it's got people talking. Mm. I, I don't know. Is that a good thing? Look, I, I think that's a really interesting point, Conrad, because what I think that highlights is a move away from the cinema lovers and the cinema files towards Gina, as you pointed out, the popular audiences, right? So mm. both this move in terms of the who's hosting the Oscars and this move to axe some of the more niche categories, I think both of those represent a real effort by the Academy here to up viewership. Because let's keep in mind that Mm. last year, viewership plummeted by about 58% on top of what was already the lowest recorded viewership the year before when Parasite took home the award for Best Picture. So we're talking about real dire straits here Mm. for the Academy. And I think both of those measures that you've touched on represent this effort by the Academy to bring the Oscars back to the people, as it were. But I I also don't think we can... I don't don't Mm. think that... we can discount the kind of cultural cachet that the Oscars continue to have. And just with that example before Parasite, if you look at a film like Parasite, which was one of the first foreign language feature films to ever take take out the category for best picture, the, the viewership of Parasite increased by about are 250-odd percent after it took home the award for Best Picture. And what I think that demonstrates is the power that the that the Oscars still have to Absolutely. influence what we consider as good cinema and what we actually go and see. Is this the wrong place to bring this up? But is there still this whole thing about you can nominate the film that you think should win Best Film on Twitter or something? Or did I make that up? I saw this thing no, and I, I was like... I think I saw this somewhere, Is this yeah. a real thing? Because oh. I just keep on but going... But I think I ignored it. Okay, so you're like, going to get the best picture, which the, the peers and the people who are able to actually, you know, vote. And then is it like it's going to be the, the People's Choice Award, which they already have an awards. <laughs> so what are we doing? Uh, uh, 100%. Couldn't yeah. agree with you more. But again... That's this shift, right, away from being this uh, sacred ceremony for cinema files towards the democratization of the Academy Awards, which is really, let's be honest, it's just about viewership. That's all it's about. It's about Mm. attracting a diverse and large group of viewers. So I think if we look at the uh, if we look at the nominees for Best Picture this year, I think that really demonstrates this move towards democratizing (laughs) the Oscars because we really have in this list of ten films a real mix, as we often do, of art house films, but also people pleasers. But it used to be five films, right? Yeah, it a few used years to be five films, they... and now it's ten. Yeah. And so when you look at the ten, I'm, I feel awful saying this as well, is that as you know what's kind of going on, even if you're not seeing the films themselves, you're seeing what's being discussed, you're seeing where they're winning other awards, you're seeing all these other things. So you naturally start to go, well, that's like 10th in the list. <laughs> that's ninth in the list, which is awful because they should be based on their merit and you should go and obviously see them if you can. I honestly, I know it's been happening for a while. I sound like the person, Daniel, who's stuck in the past, who just wants it to be about cinema. Um, <laughs> but I really hate the 10 
nominees thing. I hate it. Like, it's, it turns into, like, American Idol. I couldn't agree with you more, Conrad. I'm on entirely the same page. But let's take a look at the 10 that have been nominated this year, mm, right? Please. So we've got Nightmare Alley. Uh, no, no surprises to see that film directed by Guillermo del Toro in the top 10. Don't Look Up, an Adam McKay film. Again, no surprise to see a film from him there. Dune, which I think is this appeal to popular audiences. Drive My Car. Again, this is foreign entry. Uh, Belfast. Licorice Pizza, The Power of the Dog, which I know we've talked about on the program before and we'll come back to it tonight. Uh, I'm not a betting man, Conrad, but if I were, I'd say that's going to be your pick for the best film, but we'll find out later in the program. West Side Story, which I think everyone's betting will be my pick and we'll see if that, that holds. And then King Richard and Coda. So those are the 10 films. And let's kick off our review of this list with the film Coda because this is a film that I think... You know, everyone had... You were saying before, Conrad, how we discount films automatically. And I think this is a film that was discounted from the race very early on, but that we're seeing slowly, slowly, slowly creep up in the odds to take out the Best Picture Award. So Coda is a film from Sean Hedda, and it stars Amelia Jones as Ruby, who is the only hearing member of a deaf family in Massachusetts. Coda means child of a deaf adult. At 17, Ruby works mornings before school to help her parents and brother keep their fishing business afloat. But in joining her high school's choir club, Ruby finds herself drawn to both her duet partner and her latent passion for singing. Conrad, this is a quiet film, but it's been lauded for its sense of heart. What did you make of Coda? You know what? I love this film, and I know not to call you out, Gina. I know you haven't seen this film, but what I think you would love about this film is it's quite conventional. In that <laughs> it, it's literally, is that- it is. It's a coming-of-age film that's really, in lots of ways, quite predictable. But the great thing about it is it's in a setting that doesn't ever really ever get portrayed anywhere. So, um, and the fact that as well, that the casting is so exceptional that it elevates it above your usual kind of, you know, Mm. coming of age Netflix kind of film Mm. that you would see. Well, this Um, is an Apple film. This is made especially for Apple. They made they're the kind of producer. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, and they've, they've really um, supported it, obviously. And it's getting a lot of eyes on it. Um, Troy Katzer, who is, um, the dad, um, is nominated for Best um, Supporting Actor. Everyone is pretty much p- picking him as the odds-on favourite to win the Oscar for mm. good reason. He's amazing in it. But, you know, it's got also got Marley Matlin in it as well. Like, uh, 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 someone who's already an Academy Award winner but brings that prestige and that, that level of talent to this kind of film. It is a film that I just really enjoyed it is a really sweet and lovely film. It's mm. got a great premise. It has an amazing way of taking something that is we we don't see it very often and normalizing it, which is really lovely. Mm. And I think for people who are deaf, um, it will feel quite kind of um, inspiring mm. and and um, you know, in a way, make you feel quite excited to see this kind of story being told. Well, it's funny you said, you know, it's it's definitely something I want to watch because it's everyone I'm hearing is talking about how it just captures your heart, captures your heart. Yeah. And I actually do love 
a good coming-of-age film. In fact, one of my top picks from the recent Queer, you know, festival in Sydney was Mayfly, which was a coming-of-age film. But it just wasn't a depressing coming-of-age. Like, it was just a <laughs> sweet, nice. beautiful, uplifting story. Well, Gina... Which can still be a coming-of-age story, like... Gina, Gina, this film is not is not depressing in any way. It's not. um, It it is wholly uplifting, and Mm -hmm. I think Conrad, I think you're right in the sense that it's very conventional, and its kind of arc narrative arc is very conventional. The sense of struggle in this film is conventional. It's the same kind of dissonance between the child who's coming of age and their parents, and uh, it's nothing we haven't seen before, save for how fresh. It is in terms of representation. It is so fresh. And and it just feels so authentic. We talk about authenticity a lot. And I think where this film draws its heart from is its authenticity. And the way it Mm. deals with the deaf community feels very authentic. And and that is what I enjoyed about this film. And and toward the end, I must say um, that there were a few tears. It is a bit of a tearjerker. And and those tears come from a happy place because it is so uplifting. Mm. You know, it's such an uplifting film. Now, it's a quiet film. Um, It's not the kind of film that we would ordinarily see, I don't think, take out the Oscar. And it's... Best picture. Yeah. And and look, it did only gross just over a million dollars at the box office against a budget of 10 million, which I think is really interesting in the context of its kind of production history or or, um, or cinematic history. It it, uh, premiered at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival. And notwithstanding its poor box office gross, Apple acquired the film for $25 million, which I just think is testament to what Apple thinks about this film, but also the direction that Apple wants to take its streaming platform in, in terms of representation and diversity. And it talks to its audience. And I think that's a smart move because just because it's not a, yeah, Apple know their audience and you can start saying that. They know the value. This film is going to bring them $25 million in value and cachet, Mm. just having, you know, all of those um, accolades. I I wonder about that, but I think we can talk about um, dollar value and we can talk about um, values, value, so to speak. And I, I mm. think this is for Apple, the film, one of its flagship films in terms of, you know, what it what wants to represent, you know. And, and I just, I love that contrast in this film of the conventional on the one hand, the conventional arc, arc but how fresh it feels nonetheless. It is a really beautiful, it's a lovely film, a lot of middle, but lovely, heartfelt film. Uh, It's just one of the films nominated for Best Picture at this year's Oscars. Coming up next, we are turning our attention to the rest of this formidable list of films. Stay tuned. You're listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. You're listening to Outtakes, the home of queer film and television on Joy 94.9. You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. Gina, Conrad and Daniel with you today where we are looking at the Best Picture nominees in advance of the Academy Awards, which will take place on the 28th of March this year. We are, of course, making our way through the list of Best Picture nominees And the next film we're going to look at is a film, Conrad, I know that you're very excited about. The film is Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog, which streams on Netflix. And Conrad, you've been raving about this film. I do. I love this film. Um, It's been, uh, you know, getting so much attention. Um, It's won BAFTAs. It's won Critics' Choice Awards. 
um, Jane Campion um, is is getting um, a lot of more really, attention than I she think, needs. Yeah, well, uh, well, oh, well-deserved. <laughs> what, sorry? She did put her foot in at recently, oh, no, totally. which she quickly apologised I just was about to for, say, she's getting a lot of yeah. well-deserved recognition and also getting the opportunity to understand what white privilege means. So <laughs> put that aside. I don't think it's going to affect anything because the votes are already cast um, in, in reality, right? Um, it's a film that's got a lot of attention. It's on a platform that is extremely accessible. A lot of people have seen the film. Um, people like um, Sam Elliott. Yes, I, I was waiting In the press, which yeah. is amazing. Um, and I think, it, funnily enough, you know, the more people keep on talking about it, the more people are going to keep seeing it. So it's a really beautiful film. Um, it is something that um, really stays with you for a really long time. I saw it in the cinema in January um, and I still think about certain elements of it. Um, and I think for me, the big thing is, is that um, a lot of the people in the film gave exceptional performances, but it's those combined performances that make it a best picture. Conrad, I'll tell you what I thought of the film in just a moment, but I'm interested, given your love of this film, if you were to summarise the plot in this film oh. in one or two sentences, what what do you say this is? Because I've got my view, but I'm interested to hear from you. What do you say this is a film about? It is a, it's a family drama set in a Western backdrop um, that really looks at the um, fragile nature of sibling relationships um, and the introduction of outsiders into a really kind of traditional background. Um, and there's this really strong underlying queer element of this film. It has been talked a lot about in terms of its queerness, but I wonder... I wonder how you characterise that and whether... Because we've looked a lot at films lately, and this is just a trend I'm starting to notice, where films dabble in queerness by really exploring this idea of masculinity and what it means to be a man. And I would put The Power of of the Dog in that category. Films that look at queerness by examining what masculinity means. Look, for me, there's one particular scene in the film, you know, it's not a spoiler... Um, the lead character, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, um, has a really erotic and and uh, um, evocative and uh, and very much a passionate scene of him embracing his secret queerness that is discovered by another character in the film. And I thought this whole narrative, because it seemed to be happening throughout the film, was that it was going to always be underneath the surface Mm. and what Jane Campion did which really I think is quite shocking for a lot of people is that she put it up on the big screen there was no secret Um, he is very much a closeted gay man living in this very hyper masculine world and he is playing a role that he thinks is what society expects from him but then he takes it even further by being even worse than what he thinks straight people are like mm. because he wants to keep people away from the fact so desperate. that he is something that he doesn't even, can't even just acknowledge and ex- feel like it should exist. And it's so overwhelming that by the time you get to the end of the film, it is very confronting and quite 
Um, it's difficult, but it's what makes it so powerful. Look, I've made no secret about the fact that I didn't love this film. And I, I think a lot of that comes down to my frame of mind when I saw mm. this film. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't ready for this language that we know Jane Campion has. Uh, and that is why, you know, we'll talk about the best director category next week. But, you know, if, if we were placing bets tonight on best director, I'd be putting my money on her. She has a language and the Academy yeah. is going to recognize it this year, I think. And, and the power of the dog is nothing if not a testament to her, her language. It's, it's this kind of this evocation of character through the landscape, the kind of lingering, the, the, the way the camera lingers on the landscape and is used as a kind of metonym for, for the character arc. That, that's the language that she dabbles in, I think. And that's the language that I just wasn't ready to converse in when I watched this film. Did not have the patience for it. Did not have the uh, the mental stamina to engage. And, and you know, we've talked about this previously. This is a film I saw in the cinema. Two of the films we're talking about tonight, I saw at home. Coda is one of them and West Side Story is the other one as well. Both of them I wish I'd seen in the cinema. And for me, that was Flea. That was the film that I was like, wow, I really wish. Didn't see it on, you know, mind you, my device screen on my big screen TV. I wish I experienced that in a cinema. Even though I didn't pick up a device because I was so enthralled by it, it is a film that deserves to be on the big screen. So many of these films are. I honestly wonder if this is going to have an impact on where these awards land. That's, Mm. That's something I've thought about quite a bit. How to, you know, I know a lot of the voters do watch these things at home anyway, yeah. but um, they, they do do a lot of screenings out in, in the real world and they do generate a lot of buzz around these sorts of things. And a lot of these films haven't had the opportunity to yeah. do that. Con- so it's going to be really interesting but, to see where they land. But Conrad, I think that's a really interesting point in the context of the year that we've had where we've all kind of been locked away in our own homes and the dynamics of cinema and what it means to watch a film has changed so drastically from the, even the year before. So I think, mm. you know, I, I think we're in a new world uh, and I think that uh, the, the cinematic terrain has changed so dramatically that it's, it's you know, we've, and we've known for years it's a matter of time until these streaming platforms become the predominant way that people watch film. So yep. the Oscars are going to have to acclimatise and the Academy, mm. I think, in many ways has already acclimatised to this new world yep. that we're living in. Uh, we, are, we are looking at the best picture contenders today on outtakes. We've looked at Coda. We've looked at The Power of the Dog. And coming up next, we are taking a look at a whole bunch of other films also nominated for this year's Best Picture Award. You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. You're listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9, where today we are spotlighting the Oscars, which are set to hit the Kodak Theatre on the 28th of March. Today we are looking at the best picture contenders and next week we'll be turning our attention to some of the other categories including the best actor and best director categories but we've been looking at a number of films nominated for the best picture award today on Outtakes. We've looked at Coda, we've looked at 
The Power of the Dog, and these are perhaps some of the more notable films, but there are a number of quieter films in the running for the Best Picture Award, including King Richard, Licorice Pizza, and Belfast. Conrad, take us through these films. King Richard, the story of Venus and Serena Williams, told through the, I guess, the lens of their father. Um, Will Smith has been getting a lot of praise for his performance, um, which is good. Um, It's interesting. He was the part of the film for me that I felt was um, probably the weakest. I have to ask you this, Conrad. I'm sorry. I just have to ask, how do you feel about this story of these two powerful women being told through the eyes of the male in their life? Well, Gina and I actually spoke about this with um, uh, Paul and Christian Christian. when we talked about our um, films that you have to see over Christmas, New Year. And it was a film that everyone, you know, we were all like, oh, it's so great. But it was an obvious issue with the film is that Venus and Serena's story is strong enough to tell on their own. Their dad is really interesting, but I don't know if he needed to be at the forefront of it. However, with Will Smith in that um, producer role and such a driving force behind it, I think people really are wanting that. It's a great film and um, highly recommend you see it. And also... Beyonce recorded a song that is up for best song, and if she doesn't win, I'm going to break something. (laughs) Um, The next film that we were talking about is Licorice Pizza. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson, he is an Academy Award favourite. It is the kind of film that the Academy eats up. It is nostalgic. It is full of really great kind of references to old kind of cinema. Um, it's a little bit old-timey in some of its references, but it's kind of always like, oh, yeah, we know this is really bad, but it's kind of funny. Is it a Best Picture film? No, but it kind of makes sense that it's in the list. Um, the one film out of the kind of a lot of them that makes a lot of sense that it's in the list is Belfast, um, directed by Sir Kenneth Branagh. It's got a cast of, you know... Um, British and uh, United Kingdom favourites. Jamie Dornan, obviously, notably. Jamie Dornan and is, is amazing. Um, everyone else in it is fantastic. It's told through a child's um, perspective, which is always such great, um, you know, uh, film fare, especially when they're tackling a subject that can be kind of difficult, which in this case is around, um, you know, the uprising and the upheaval in um, Ireland during the 69, 70 period. It is really sweet. It kind of is, it's coda in a different way. It's coming of age film. It tells it, um, you know, it's from an Irish perspective, obviously, but it's got a lot of similarities there. It's, it feels familiar. It feels conventional, but it's really lovely. And that's why everyone keeps talking about it because it's uplifting and it's quite warm, but they, they tackle some of the heavy political elements quite well. Um, and it makes sense that it's in this list again, but um, I don't think it will be walking away with the film, it's, uh, best film award. It's interesting that you say that, Conrad. Obviously, this is an autobiography, essentially, it's an autobiographical. Um, depiction of the life of its director, uh, Kenneth Branagh. But if I were to pick an underdog out of this list of 10, I would pick Belfast based on its its success elsewhere at other critical um, awards and its critical reception more broadly, but also the type of film that it is. I wouldn't discount Belfast. It's certainly not... Absolutely. 
It's certainly not um, one of those films that you said at the outset that you would discount, perhaps like Licorice Pizza. It's not. Um, I, I do think it's a, a dark horse. And the other dark horse that I have to put out there is, of course, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Now, uh, this was a film that I was gutted not to see in the cinema last year, but I have since seen it and it was everything I wanted and more. And in fact, I think, Gina, I messaged you while I was watching West Side Story and said to you, this is a quote-unquote perfect film. Mm. And, wow. And, and I, you know what? There, there are one or two problems with it, but I stand by five out of five stars, perfect film. In a year where I had forgotten what a pleasure it was to watch old school Hollywood cinema, cinema done well, that kind of captures the fantasy of Hollywood and filmmaking and cinema. It was this film that reminded me how magical cinema can be, how magical, how magical film can be. This is, of course, the much anticipated reimagining from Steven Spielberg of the 1957 stage musical of the same name. The script is penned by Tony Kushner, who we know has worked with Steven Spielberg in the past, most notably on Lincoln. He's an excellent playwright of his own merit. Uh, and uh, obviously Angels in America, amongst other notable plays. Um, this film obviously features music composed by Leonard Bernstein and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim that was featured in the 1961 film adaptation but it doesn't feel like a remake of the 1961 film it feels like we're approaching the source material through a different lens and don't get me wrong I love the 1961 West Side Story adaptation. It's an excellent film. And I, don't, I think we can all agree that Steven Spielberg's West Side Story will not fare as well uh, at the Oscars as uh, the... Do you no think? Well, Maybe in cinematography. You know what? Maybe in, in that area, it's going to do really well. No, it won't. It won't fare as well as the, the 1961. Oh, yeah. as, ten, it's not going to win 10 Oscars. No. but. But it, it is, I don't, I don't think it's productive to compare the two films in any way because this really is a standalone adaptation of the musical that, as I say, and I mean wholeheartedly, it just captures the fantasy of cinema. Spielberg is such a master of his trade and he captures the fantasy of film in a way that, for me, none of the other films in this list do. You just can't fault it. It's a film that you just can't fault. And it's actually really exciting that it's going to bring new audiences to this classical story. I mean, I've let my four-year-old watch a portion of it, not the violent portion. <laughs> and did she not love it? Oh, my God, Daniel. My we, every time we drive to childcare, I have to play the song America. And she almost <laughs> knows all the lyrics now. <laughs> and she has learnt how to, like, shake her dress and dance. And oh, she's obsessed with, like, we, again, there's not much I can show this four-year-old because it does get incredibly violent, especially towards the end. But she just loves it. She loves the colour and the movement. And I remember watching it and knowing my child's going to love this moment because of how glorious the colours and the hues and just oh the performances God. on screen looked. It was just, it was magnificent. But Gina, yeah. Gina, every shot, 
every mm. shot was mm. perfectly framed. Mm. Uh, the it just everything about every shot. I mean, <laughs> really, I I can't sing the praises. I'll be of this film. Yeah. yeah. Can I can I bring down the party just falter? a little no, bit? No, Connor. No, I don't loved, make my no, no, no. <laughs> I loved it. So I watched it. My I've got two big things that are really um, for me that I was so. Um, I wish I could have changed. The first thing was, I wish I saw it in the cinema. Yeah. Mm. To be honest, West Side Story would be untouchable if everyone was experiencing that film in the cinema. Mm. It didn't get generate a lot of the buzz that it should have. And some of the reason behind that, it seems like, is because of the lead um, male actor, Hansel Elgert, and some of the controversy that surrounded him, um, which is really unfortunate because, for me, he was the weakest part of that film. The other thing is, as well, before we did the show tonight, I went and looked, and I'm talking looked. I could hardly find any interviews with Steven Spielberg talking about this film. He's left it up to a lot of the cast. He only did a handful of press for this. And I find that really interesting. For a 75-year-old man... Uh, who is so well-established as a director as well, he has put out something that is so brilliant. Yeah, he really backed away from kind of talking about it, and I think it may have something to do with the whole leading actor thing, which I think is awful because it's really shitty that it's kind of uh, taken con- away con- from it. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure about that because I think that controversy and those rumours and... But he, he didn't do any press, Daniel. Yeah, look, l- l- let me say this, Conrad. One, I, I don't agree that Ansel Elgort was um, the worst in this film. I actually, I, I'm not a fan of his. I, I haven't really loved anything else he's done. But What else has he done? Well, Name one of the films. Fault, in my, Fault in Our Stars is oh, his God, most yeah, notable. Okay, um, I was like, what's another film he's done? I was really trying to think. And then Baby Driver, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, done, he's done a few um, relatively big hits. He's average. And I, yeah, look, I've never loved him, but I, I, he really, and perhaps it's because my expectations of him were low. Were that, low, yeah. yeah. That I actually thought he was pretty damn good in this film, and he sold me. He sold me on, on Tony. What I would say about the success of this film is, yes, the film has not done at the box office nearly as well as it has deserved to do. But look at the kind of year we've had. Look at In the Heights. Look at... Um, yeah, musicals, uh, unfortunately. What was there? Dear Evan Hansen, Encanto. Look at all of the big musical hits of the last... Aretha with Jennifer Hudson. None of these were as big, perhaps, as West Side Story, but all of them bombed at the box office because what we've found out over the last year is that the demographic of musicals in cinema tends to be older audiences that are really staying away from the cinema during COVID. And so the fact that this film bombed, I don't think is a, I don't think it says anything about... Perhaps there is something in there about Ansel Elgort, but I don't think that's the overriding reason why this film hasn't done as well as it's deserved to do. I just reiterate that this is a masterpiece. Um, mm-hmm. Tony Kushner has brought something really different to this film in terms of his the job. kind of... Um, because uh, when I when I heard that he was writing this, I was like, how much can Tony Kushner really do with this material, right? But... But he, 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 he brought a lens to this film that allowed Steven Spielberg to explore it in a way that was so much more nuanced than the... Again, not helpful to compare, but so much more nuanced than the original. For me, the two problems that I had with this film was one, 
the fact that Rita Marino sung somewhere. That was the first big problem I had. And I, I like that she sung it. Don't get me wrong. I like that she sung it, but it needed to segue at some point in the song into Tony and Maria singing the song so that again, yeah, okay. Maria could sing the song to Tony as she did in the 1961 film. Uh, because as you will have noted... Do you think they were tipping their hat to that audience by letting Rita... Like, I think it yeah, was of course, of course. And she film. was a producer and she as well. probably did the only press this entire... When we talk about she who did the press, oh my God, she, she did all the press it. for this yeah. film. Yeah. And, and she was a producer. I'm sure she was part of the team that made the decision that she would sing this song. But, you know, I just, I wanted both. And what I will say is that the, for, for all of the praises that I've sung for this film, the one other problem that I had with it was the ending. It didn't linger long enough. It ended too quickly. The tragedy, you know, Steven Spielberg, he didn't revel in the tragedy of this film. <laughs> and I wanted him Suck to revel. So, but, but otherwise, perfect film, five out of five. It's, it's also kind of interesting to note that West Side Story and June are remakes of older films that have obviously really captured the world's attention in lots of different ways. Three, Conrad. I was shocked to find out that Nightmare Alley is, oh, is a remake. And the only reason I found oh, that out and is... and Coda is as well. So we've got oh, it four. is a remake. Coda is a remake Jesus. of a foreign language film. So Everything's remake. <laughs> that is literally Hollywood. Hollywood okay, for you. Okay, sorry. Everything's a remake. <laughs> Let's take a listen to the trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. Tonight, tonight, the world is full of light. This is my first time in New York City. I want to be happy here. I want to make a life, a home. Are you ready? Tonight is about family. The first gringo boy who smiles at you. I never seen you before. I'm not Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War III? You know, I wake up to everything I know either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like. You keep away from him as long as you're in my house. I'm a grown-up now, Bernardo. I'm going to think for myself. Tony, we need you if we're going to war. Who are you? Friend or foe? If you go with him, no one will ever forgive you.
You're listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. Conrad, Gina and Daniel with you today as we make our way through the 10 nominees for Best Picture at this year's Oscars. The Oscars are, of course, uh, taking place on the 28th of March. And we are looking at this year's Best Picture nominees today on Outtakes. Now, one film that we haven't talked about yet, Conrad and Gina, is Don't Look Up, which is the new film from director Adam McKay, who's well known for his satires. This film stars just about every second person in Hollywood and tells the story of two low-level astronomers who must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. The film stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, and as I said, just about every second person in Hollywood. <laughs> Gina, I'm interested to hear, what did you make of this film? I bloody loved it, and I just couldn't understand why so many people disliked this film. It was absolute satire. It was so much fun watching Meryl Streep play this just wild villain like who gets her comeuppance at the end, spoiler alert, in the best possible way. But I just loved it. I just thought I, maybe I was in the right stage of pandemic viewing <laughs> yeah. to go, you know what, let's add this to our bingo card, people, because I'm on, like, zombies now. But this was just – there were so many great one-liners in it. And it's just it's, – it's not a perfect film, but, jeez, it was fun to watch. And look, I, I, I don't know if I'd put it for best picture. I don't know how it made it into here, into this. Time. I don't think it deserves its place. Uh, but bloody hell, I enjoyed the film. It's, it's Adam McKay. I mean, the Academy loves Adam mm. McKay. Um, but is it a best picture? Like, really? I don't know. Is it just me who thinks it's was, generous? It, I mean, again, we're talking about that whole thing, right? We have to get away from this thing that in my head, I'm like, you know, it didn't really have a cinematic run. It's a film that really resonated and connected with people on, on Netflix. But in terms of the most topical and the most timely mm. film um, and one that really reflects our current state, mm. um, don't look up, you know, if it was an award for the most kind of accurate film that should win for um 2022 it would it would be for for me this would make a lot of sense um adam mckay the big short is a film that of his that i loved so much that i've like rewatched it twice i've told so many people about it it is such clever cinema he is such a clever filmmaker um, this is a really hard topic to kind of mm. tell people and get people to engage with. And he did it in such a clever way. Mm. Celebrities, <laughs> really crazy premise. But at the heart of it, it's a film that is about, you know, the, our, our, our existence. It's about who we are as people. And I, honestly, there's one thing that just happened recently. Um, Melanie Linsky won the um, Best Actress Award at the Critics' Choice Awards. And I noticed it started a conversation about her role in Don't Look Up. And quite a few people were like, she was one of the standout, you know, kind of performers for me in this mm. film, you know, cluttered with such an amazing ensemble. And mm. I thought, those are the sort of little things that can start mm. to happen with a film like Don't Look Up 
where it can kind of, you know, start to manoeuvre its way into something. Who knows? It's it's definitely a film that I don't think people will forget. Oh, look, I, I also really, really enjoyed this film. I think it's a horror film. I mean, if I had to put it in a genre, <laughs> it, it, the genre is horror because it is... Black. It is the story of our demise as a human people, yeah. you know, that, mm. and, and it's just so damn true. As satirical and comedic as it's supposed to be, it is so damn real. And mm. Gina, I, I understand why when you watch this film, you think, well, this isn't a film that I would expect to be in the top 10 as voted by the Academy, but the Academy does love Adam McKay. The Academy loves Meryl Streep and Kate Blanchett mm. and Leonardo DiCaprio and mm. every Everyone else who's in this film, mm-hmm. um, the Academy will love that this is playing to a, dare I say, audience. liberal, uh, yeah. mm. liberal young audience um, that might attract viewers to the Oscars. Mm. Mm. Uh, and is- some new gifts of Meryl clapping that we can all add to our next, you know, video calls. It- and Ariana Grande, you know, performing an end of world concert <laughs> with a song with Kid Cudi, which is. <laughs> I was laughing so hard and then I kind of got halfway through it and I went, this is actually really depressing. <laughs> it is depressing. It, so, like, it is depressing. It but, but Gina, I also have to say the penultimate scene in this film, that penultimate scene at the kitchen table, um, mm. it, it, it really was one of the best film, one of mm. the best scenes in any film that I saw last year. So I think there are a lot of reasons to to like this film and and I think not to be surprised that it's in um, the Academy's top 10 of the year. I think it is a fascinating meditation on where we are politically as a people and what will be our undoing. I think it's fascinating that this film was put into production before COVID because this could very well really? be. Really? Yeah. It, it was, you are kidding me. No, he, I he wrote have no it, idea. He wrote it as an allegory for climate change, but it could just as easily be an allegory for COVID or an allegory for any of the other major political events sweeping the Western world or indeed the world at the moment so i just i just it is terrifyingly funny i just i i I really like this film so does it say a lot though about this film that it didn't get singled out for any acting nominations which really disappointed me because jonah hill was so revolting but i can't (laughs) get his performance out of my head it it wasn't an oscar-worthy performance though was it oh i thought so like it was so clever because it was like it it never ever veered into never trying to redeem you itself never which but i also, love that like if you're gonna f- go awful go hard but like literally to the right last moment yeah he, he, he never lets up right until the end of the credits yeah, that's funny because i thought mark rylance was the most irredeemable oh, he was character incredibly in awful as well yeah but I just Brilliant. love that moment when she realises they've been charged, like had to pay money for free stuff. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> and he keeps it going. It's so good. Oh, must it, see. It is a great it's... film. Gina, have you revised your opinion about whether or not this deserves to be in the top ten? You know what? I look at films like Moonlight. I look at films like Parasite. Mm. And those I are go, the really? Those are the winners. Like, I'm not saying that this isn't a great entertaining film, but I yeah. just... 
I just wonder, take out all those A-plus names, would it still be there? But that's the joy of it, the fun of it. It's, it's the sum of all its parts. And yeah. that is a really great part of this film, the enjoyability of watching yes. Kate Blanchett and Meryl Streep and Leonardo, all of these people play and off I each other. And I think this is the theme of this year's Oscars. They want their audience back. They want the kudos back. They don't want us talking about your BAFTAs and your critics' choices that as the stellar shows. They want the glory of what the Oscars, you, yeah, they want it back. Yeah. And that means eyeballs and that means sponsors and that means all the glitter and glamour. Because I don't think we're there yet. You know how we kind of talk about this is our new normal. I don't think we're there yet. I think they're planning the Oscars two years down the track when they fill the stadium again and right. get everyone back in there. So, I don't well, know. Perhaps, just... then, perhaps then on that note, Gina... Why don't you kick us off? <laughs> you will be held to ransom to this this next minute. But if you had to pick of the ten films nominated for Best Picture this year, mm. uh, and I might, I'll just, I'll run through the nominees again. So Nightmare Alley, Don't Look Up, June, Drive My Car, Belfast, Licorice Pizza, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story, King Richard, and Coda. Which of those 10 films do you say is going to take home the top award of the night? Which of those films do I place? I mean, in the film I want to place is not listed, and that's Flea. Um, but the film that I think my prediction, oh, you know what? I'm going to give it to The Power of the Dog. I think Jane Campion is, is going to be the person that's going to take it out this year. I'm going to keep it easy. The Power of the Dog is going to win. It is the film that um, the Academy is kind of looking towards um, and Jane Campion has um, made a film that is kind of resonating across the board at the moment with the kind of performances that get people talking. Power of the Dog. The Power of well, the Dog. look, if I were voting with my heart, I would say West Side Story is going to win. Uh, but if I'm voting with my head, and I am indeed voting with my head, I agree with both of you. The Power of the Dog is going to take home the top award of the night, best picture of the year. I'd love a little upset. Uh, and, uh, you know, if Belfast took home the award for best picture, I wouldn't be complaining. Uh, I, we could have a moonlight, like, you know, 100, moonlight situation. 100%. I, I don't, as, as heartwarming and uplifting as Coda was, I don't think it's best picture of the year material. Um, if West Side Story took it home, as I say, that's that's where I go with my heart. But I agree with you. The power of the dog is going to take home the top award this year. Yeah. On that note, that is it for another week of Outtakes. The Oscars will uh, take place on the 28th of March. And we still have time before then to turn our attention to some of the other categories at this year's Oscars, including... Best Actor, Best Director, and, of course, Best Animation. Gina, I know that you're busting yes. to that category. Well, Best Animation is the queerest of all the categories this year, with four out of the five films being super queer and super kid-friendly. Mm-hmm. We will turn our attention to Best Animation next week. That's it for another week of Outtakes. You've been listening to Outtakes, the home of queer film and television on Joy 94.9. Want to catch up on past episodes? Head to joy.org.au forward slash outtakes or search Outtakes on your favourite podcast platform.
This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.